Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And be sure to add SportsBiz with Rashad in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. What is up, guys? You're listening to Sports Biz with Rashad. Let's get started with today's episode. Hey, guys. Today on the show, I am going to be having a special guest, but this episode will not be my typical interview style. Instead, coming on the show is Chad Smith, co-host of Pint Glass Football Podcast and someone I refer to as an unofficial fantasy football expert. If you like what he has to share today, please check out the Pint Glass Football Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and follow them on Instagram at PGF Podcast. So, here he is. Hey, Chad. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, Rashad. Glad to be on. Glad to be a part of this and your uh, podcast with uh, Sports Biz with Rashad. And looking forward to talking a little bit of fantasy football. Yeah, so let's get right into it. Um, let's start off kind of talking about general fantasy knowledge that everyone should know for for this year yeah so I think when you look at this year I mean football is going to be different I mean it's COVID is here COVID is going to still continue to be a part of I think this entire season and so I think when people draft you're going to have to draft very smart and think about it and be in a league where you can have IR COVID spots because you could be ready to go have your roster set up and even somebody as late as Thursday, Friday, Saturday gets COVID. It may even be a false positive. Who knows? I mean, with the way this is going with testing, but that person may not be able to play on Sunday. So you need to be in a league that has uh, waivers every day so that somebody can go pick up a player if necessary You need to have an extra roster spot probably or two on your bench so that you can put players down there and not have to drop and add players that may make it even more difficult for your team otherwise. And then you have to take into account that due to the testing protocols, due to the NFL rules that they may have in place, you may have um, a player that could miss one or two weeks based on when they get the positive test. And so – this is going to be a unique year for fantasy in that in a league where you can do the drop ad and, and make all the roster changes, you're going to have to be on top of it every day, every week, and certainly be able to be flexible and, and, and pivot when necessary. And then obviously the people in your league are going to have to do the same as well. So I, I think from that perspective, most places are allowing more bench depth and so they're, you're able to draft a few more players. And so I think if there's ever a year to draft a potential handcuff from some of those top running backs and just stick them to your bench, this is the year to do that. In case your number one running back goes out, you can plug in the handcuff because it's clear that the handcuff would start that game. If, say, like a Dalvin Cook is out, you would want to try to have an Alexander Madison on your bench. Yeah, for sure. And I think um... – Injuries, too. I, I feel like they're going to be a bit bigger this year. You know, no preseason, less practices, less training camps and all of that. Do you think that's going to have a big impact as well 
early in the season? I think it's going to have a very big impact, potentially, because uh, no OTAs, no preseason. There is, I mean, when you talk about players and they're practicing, and those are grown men that are some of the fastest, biggest, strongest athletes in the world, they're going at full speed. But there's just that whole next level, me being a professional athlete at one point in my time, there is nothing that replicates game speed. And for them to not have a single even really true preseason game, yeah, they may have some scrimmages with each other. They may even do some scrimmages with another team, but it's not going to be as publicized. I think the opportunity for injuries early on are going to be exponentially higher than normal. Hamstring, groin, some of those little things that can cause a two, three, four-week aggravation. Um, it could even be something that lingers on for an entire year. And we've seen it where players just never really recover because you try to come back too quick. Take Saquon Barkley last year. People were drafting him number one, number two, number three overall at the latest. Yeah, he had that injury in the middle of the year, but he tried to come back a week too early, not because it was he was trying to make – fantasy owners feel better and and help their teams. I think he was just trying to get back because he's that type of player. But he came back a week too early. And he even admittedly said later, I was never the same player that entire rest of the year when I came back because I came back too early. So injuries are going to happen and you need to be accounted for them. I think one of the things to really think about this year with fantasy is to really look at teams that have that continuity from the previous two, three years. Because you've got a lot of teams that have got new quarterbacks, new situations, maybe new head coaches, new offensive coordinators. And it's hard. You can only do so much on a Zoom call and then be ready. So prime example is Indianapolis Colts. Phillip Rivers goes to Indianapolis. What is his chemistry going to be like with a T.Y. Hilton, with rookie wide receivers like a Michael Pittman? I mean, the offense – uh, offensive line is in great shape there, but are they going to be able to really run the ball? Is it going to be Jonathan Taylor? Is it going to be Marlon Mack? And then the flip side of that is you take a New Orleans Saints with a Sean Payton, a Drew Brees, an Alvin Kamara, a Michael Thomas. They've been on the field together for years. The chemistry, the consistency, the 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 just the connection is there. It's deeper. So I think when you're looking at some of these offenses. I think you may have to take into account early on looking at those weeks one, two, three, four. Is a team going to be ready to come right out of the gate and be, I mean, dialed in? Or is it going to look rough? And we've seen it before in some of the preseason. Sometimes it can take a while to knock that rust off. And if you're sitting here with week one, week two, and you're watching your guys and you're like, oh, this doesn't look good at all. I mean, you could call, you could start out the gate 0-2. And, and so I, I think I have tried to look at this year and, and focus on teams, not exclusively, but to some extent that have some of that continuity where the same people are coming back due to this limited offseason. And that may even hopefully help with the injuries as well. So I think that's a great question that you ask, and I think it's definitely going to be a part of this year and how it works. Yeah, you know what? I didn't even think of that. Um I think a lot of people are going to overlook that this year, just forgetting that, you know, they don't have OTAs and they don't have preseason games. And I mean, those scrimmages can only do so much when you're playing against your team. You're not trying to go out there and and kill your defense or kill your offense. So I think that's definitely an overlooked point. Um, 
Do you want to move now into kind of some draft strategies? Yeah, let's go. All right, so we have kind of three strategies to cover. Right. Um, let's start off with you know your typical running back, running back strategy. And it's a great question, and and that's still probably one of the most um, talked about discussion slash arguments that you'll get in fantasy football is do you take a running back early and then do you come back and get another running back? Uh, a lot of people have the mindset of saying, okay, if you're in that one through four slot, look, we're talking standard 12 team leagues. Okay. Some people do 10, some people do 14. I get that. <clears throat> we're just going to keep this in the context that I would say the vast majority are a 12 team league. When you're looking at that one through four, <clears throat> excuse me, even one through five, maybe six, you're looking at regardless of the format, whether it's standard half point or full point PPR, C-Mac going off first, then Saquon, Ezekiel, you can argue and debate who might be two, three. Then you're looking at Kamara four. You recently had that little bit of that contract issue. Do you still take him at four? Or do you maybe slide a Dalvin Cook or a Derrick Henry up in front of him? I don't know. I still think Kamara is one of the top running backs in football. If I'm at four, I'm probably taking Kamara regardless. I don't. I think they're going to get this contract situation worked out. But it gets to a point where you're in a draft and you start to say, okay, the fourth, fifth, the sixth running back has come off the board. Even if you're later in that draft, do you still look at taking those running backs in that 7 to 12 range? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb, the list goes on and on. And then what do you do when you swing back around in the second round? And so the thought and the strategy is if you're early, you take that running back. If you want to come back through on the back end of your snake and you're at the end of the second, start of the third, there is nothing wrong with grabbing that next running back. Just make sure they have an opposite bye week and then still getting a top 10, top 15, maybe top 20 wide receiver. Or you can maybe even go Kittle or Kelsey if you want to anchor your team with one of the top two tight ends in football. What happens on the back end of the draft is on that 9, 10, 11, 12 range, that's when you got to make that decision again to say, am I going to go running back, running back? Or if I'm sitting there and you have arguably two or three of the top four or five wide receivers that are consistently there, a Julio Jones, a Devontae Adams, a Tyreek Hill, DeAndre Hopkins, do you do you consider going wide receiver, wide receiver there? So it's really up to each individual, <clears throat> their strategy, what they think works for them, what they want. The argument with running back, running back is that the wide receiver class is deeper. And so you have a lot of teams now that obviously have two wide receivers. Some teams have three wide receiver sets, and they're going to try to spread the field. So you can get more depth later and have greater flexibility with wide receivers. So it's one of those deals where Michael Thomas is almost arguably going to come off the board somewhere in that first seven, eight, nine picks, depending on the league and the format. So after he's gone, then you still got to ask yourself, do I want to go running back, running back, or do, do I want to take a different route? I have done both in the years past, and I've seen – Every format be successful. And it really, Rashad, is irrespective of where you're drafting, whether you're – don't say I'm, I hate it because I got the six, seven, or the eight slot. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, one of the benefits of that is you're never having to wait 
roughly 20 some picks before your next pick. So yeah, that's great that you might be one and you get to take McCaffrey, but then you got to wait 24 picks. Same thing with 12. If you go 12, 13, that's great. People like to have that back end of the snake draft. Well, then you don't get to pick again until 36, 37. There's a bunch of players come off the board. So when we talked about it before via text, it's like you kind of got to have a draft strategy going in. So if you want to go running back, running back, then do it, commit to it. Don't waver and don't change based on what happens in the draft leading up to your picks or after players come off the board in your first round and you come back to the second round. Don't change because it's okay to be fluid within the draft, but if you're committed to going running back, running back, then stay with that and then focus on those wide receivers in rounds three, four, five, six that you were looking at, that you were targeting, that have that average draft position in that range of where you're going to be picking based on your slot, and then focus on those wide receivers there. Don't change, because if you've not done a lot of strategy going running back wide receiver, because all of a sudden you're like, wow, a Tyreek Hill or Julio Jones falls to you, that's great. There's really nothing wrong with taking him. But if you've not done a lot of draft strategy saying, well, what running backs might be there in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, it comes back around to you, you can grab the wrong player, and all of a sudden your team's starting to not look as good. Yeah, and at the back end of the draft, say you're kind of a 10, 11, 12 area. If you go running back, running back there, do you think there is enough depth at the wide receiver position coming back around? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, great question. Absolutely. You're, you're going to have still plenty of great wide receivers. You're probably looking at an Odell Beckham, Cooper Cup, maybe an Allen Robinson, Amari Cooper. I mean, you can go DJ Chark, uh, uh, DJ Moore in Charlotte uh, with the Carolina Panthers, um, Tyler Lockett. I mean, there's a ton of really, really good, what I would arguably call a wide receiver one on your team, but they could be the wide receiver one, wide receiver two on their respective football team. So you're still getting wide receivers that are going to get a lot of targets, going to get a good target share for that team. And so nothing wrong at all with going running back, running back there at, say, 12-13, and then coming back at the end of the third, start of the fourth, and grabbing two really, really good wide receivers. Okay, let's go now zero running back. Zero running back, and that's a great argument, and thank you for asking that because – what people now say, and there's really three things. We've already talked about running back, running back. There's zero running back strategy. And then there's going to be what we talk about after, which is called a zero modified running back strategy. And we'll touch on that next. So zero running back strategy is basically saying if you are on the back end of the draft, say seven on, because typically in most formats, you could see somebody slide up to that five, six spot and take a Michael Thomas, especially in a half point or full point PPR. I really do believe that you're still going to see those top five, six running backs come off the board. My threshold of when I start to have to really consider if I'm in that seven, eight range is if Cook and Henry are all off the board as well, and you're sitting there with a Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you're sitting there with a Michael Thomas looking down the barrel, you're maybe even looking at, um, I mean, this is probably a stretch, Joe Mixon. I mean, you're getting into that point, like, do you take the RB7, do you take the RB8, or do you take the wide receiver one? So that's where the zero RB strategy comes into play, is you say, 
I am going to start my draft with two of the top four or five wide receivers that are consistently there that are going to get eight, 10, 12, maybe 13, 14, 15 targets a game. Players that also have a high catch rate, have great hands. The Julio Jones, the Tyree Kills, the people that have big breakaway game potential, especially like a Devontae Adams who had, I think he's going to probably, I mean, look at maybe 180-some targets coming his way this year. Uh, I have some really good friends on another podcast called the Commish Fantasy Football Podcast, also known as Commish FFP. They do a tremendous job each week breaking down fantasy football, and they have some great rankings. And they say that Devontae Adams is clearly the number two guy. So from that 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 range, if you can grab one of those top wide receivers, then you swing back around in the second round, one of those top five are still going to be there. And when you come out of that draft with those two guys and you come out of that first two rounds with two stud wide receivers opposite bye weeks, then you basically say, okay, I'm committed. That roster spot is locked and loaded. Now I'm going to go get running back and running back depth. And then in the rounds three, four, five, six, that's when you target at least two, maybe three running backs out of that. Then you consider maybe grabbing a quarterback, maybe grabbing a tight end if a top five, I mean, top six, seven, eight tight end falls to you. Or you you legitimately look at drafting running backs for the next four rounds hoping out of that that you get two that you know are going to start or get a really good line share in a running back by committee situation or even draft a couple of those what you know are heavy pass-catching running backs like a James White from New England who's, I think, going to be a C-Mac version light to Cam Newton this year. So he's a guy that I've been targeting quite a bit because I think he's got tremendous upside potential in that offense. I think you're going to see a lot of that dink and dunk, as they may call it. So that's when you look at zero running back strategies, just saying, okay, you know what? I don't care. If running backs come off the board, that's fine. If people take running backs in the first two rounds, then guess what? They're going to have to then shift course and go start taking wide receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks as well. So if you go wide receiver, wide receiver, you're basically saying, I'm going to have a pretty healthy selection of the next three or four rounds of running backs because it's going to be highly unlikely that if a lot of those people go running back heavy in those first two rounds, then they're going to keep drafting running backs, especially when you're trying to fill out a roster. So from that seven position on, that's when you start having to make the decision to say, okay, do I want to go zero running back strategy? And I've seen that work very well and be very successful. And people leave that draft feeling really good about the fact that I've got two top wide receivers and then I'm going to make the rest of my roster work really well. And and so that is zero running back mod. I mean, that's zero uh, running back strategy. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I think, a little bit more of a risky strategy, but one that could pay off if if it's executed right. And you you nailed it, Rashad. It is about executing it right, and it is risky. But then a lot of people also say that it's not risky because some people could argue that you can go get running backs in those first two rounds, and then you start dropping down into that third and fourth and fifth round, and you say, okay, yeah, I can get some wide receivers there. But are they going to give me the same production that a Michael Thomas and a Devontae Adams might get? 
or a Michael Thomas and a Tyreek Hill, Julio Jones, or if you're later in the draft, if you're 8, 9, 10, maybe 11, and you go Devontae Adams, Julio Jones. Any day of the week, if I'm in the draft, if I can start off with those two guys as my wide receivers, I will be happy to build out the rest of my draft in a sense of like, I'll go get running backs. I'll go even get depth at running back. And even by week two, week three, I will figure out what those running back by committees look like. There might even be a guy that is a starter by week three or week four that wasn't a starter in week one, but you got him later in the draft. And so it's not that any format is wrong. It's, it's about saying it's your draft. It's your league. You know the tendencies of the people within your league. So you also have to build around that thought process of what do I think will work best for me when it's a strategy, if it's a league that I know that I'm in, or it's a league that I've got a lot of history with, and I know what their draft tendencies have been in the past. And then you can tailor and structure to that. And so if you don't mind, I'll just go right into the zero modified running back strategy, which is what a lot of people are doing now. And thinking about it from that perspective. And that is when you say, okay, I'm taking one running back. I'm looking at my running back list. And that will include the top three or four or five, six that we've already talked about. That will include Miles Sanders with Philadelphia, Joe Mixon with Cincinnati, Josh Jacobs, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in Kansas City, all the way down to even maybe even in a PPR format, an Austin Eckler a Kenyon Drake in Arizona who's going to be there and have a full season and had flashes of brilliance last year. You're looking at those 8, 9, 10, 12 guys. If you can come out of that first round with a starting running back that you know is going to be what is arguably considered an RB1, at that point, you then say, okay, I've got a, I've got a horse in the stable at running back. Then the next four rounds – because you're also taking into account that you're going to have that flex spot, which is typically a flex spot that is running back wide receiver, wide receiver tight end, or it's running back wide receiver and tight end. You can put anyone in that spot. The next four rounds, you go after the top one or two tight ends in a Kittle or a Kelsey, or you go after four, three or four wide receivers. And you don't even think about a running back again until the fifth maybe six, maybe six, seventh, eighth rounds, because you've got that one RB that you know, okay, I'm starting this guy every week. He's there, a Derrick Henry. If you've got the fifth, sixth pick, it's like, hey, I know I'm starting Derrick Henry. So the next three rounds, I'm going to try to come out of that with three really, really super good, high-end, high-target potential, high potential for a fantasy scoring uh, potential as well. And I'm going to draft three wide receivers, and I'm going to make sure they all have opposite bye weeks so I have flexibility within my schedule so that when I'm, I'm plugging and placing people, I've got that depth there. And basically what you're doing is saying, I'm going after wide receivers. I'm still wanting those top higher end of wide receivers versus waiting till later and maybe drafting a Jerry Judy in Denver, even though he might have a tremendous amount of upside. He's a great route runner. And he, 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 he may be really potent in that offense with Drew Locke coming into his third full year. I mean, you got Cortland Sutton. You've got the CeeDee Lambs of the world in that three wide receiver set with Gallup and Cooper. There's a lot of players that are lower, but you can still come out of those second, third, and fourth rounds and maybe look at getting uh, a Juju Smith-Schuster 
and, and Odell Beckham, uh, Amari Cooper, uh, Kenny Galladay, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Cortland Sutton, DJ Metcalf, DJ Moore, all those players, and you draft those two, three, four rounds, then you're sitting in the fifth round. You're like, okay, now I'm going to maybe come back and get my next running back. Now I'm going to maybe grab a top five tight end if they fall, or I'm still going to grab a top five tight end if I pass on a Kittle or a Kelsey. And so that's kind of what's called a zero modified running back strategy where you're still taking one, but then you're going after those top wide receivers in those next rounds. You know, I think that's really an interesting strategy. Um, I think most of the time when you go into the draft, you're thinking either running back, running back, or you're thinking no running back. And this, this other strategy is one that I think I need to really consider as well as a lot of other people too. Um, I, and if I can give you, I'm going to interrupt uh, Rashawn and give you an example. I was yeah. in one of my biggest drafts that, that, that I had and it was one of those deals where I was like, wow, okay, this is a, you know, this is a tough draft because you're, you're trying to figure out what do I want to do with this draft? And so I came out of that draft. I took Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the first round. And I said to myself, okay, I'm locked and loaded here with a top five running back, okay? And I'm good with that. So in the next four rounds, I drafted Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, Cooper Cup, and A.J. Brown. So that was my next four rounds. So, yes, am I putting a lot of equity in a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire sitting there at, at that spot and taking just him? Yes. Could I have got another running back? Yeah. I love those four wide receivers. And, I mean, when they were there and they were on the board, it was one of those deals where you're like, man, I, I can't. I can't pass up on those players because the, the 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 volume and the potential, the target, the touchdowns, everything that can come from that, I would much rather build my team out that way. And then in the sixth round, I took James White. And then in the eighth round, I took Marlon Mack because I still believe Marlon Mack has a tremendous amount of upside in that offense with the Coats. And I think Jonathan Taylor is getting a lot of love this year. He's moved way up draft boards way up in average draft position. He has a history of fumbling the football quite a bit at Wisconsin. And guess what? If you fumble the football in the NFL, you're not going to be running the football very long. And I still think they're going, both going to split shares and split carries. And I think Marlon Mack has even a little bit more pass catching potential upside. So if you tell me that I can come out of that draft after eight rounds, including getting a top uh, really 10 tight end in Austin Hooper, you give me that after eight rounds, I'll take that every single time because I'm banking on those pass catching backs like a James White to get me that volume in that RB2 spot. But I'm clearly going to be starting those four wide receivers in the wide receiver spots and in the flex spot. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely makes sense. Um, if we go into quarterbacks now, we'll kind of break it down by position by position here. Um, a lot of a lot of strategies are weight on a quarterback, but you know, you're always going to have the top guys, Jackson, Mahomes, 
um, go early, and you never know how early. What are your thoughts on on those guys and and the depth at the quarterback position later later in the rounds? Great question about quarterbacks. Uh, Lamar Jackson had a phenomenal year last year. Okay, so to put it into context, he arguably had one of the top probably five quarterback fantasy seasons ever in football, back to the Mike Vick days and so on. And Peyton Manning, some other people were there. Tom Brady, when they threw the 50 touchdowns, I get that. But in most leagues, most formats, the passing touchdown for quarterbacks is four. Some leagues, they have six. I mean, that's great. But it's typically four. Obviously, the rushing touchdown, if the quarterback gets it, it's six. So Lamar Jackson rushed for over 1,200 yards last year. The thing that made Lamar Jackson fascinating last year and made him so valuable was he was getting drafted in the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th round by almost everybody, and he was arguably most people's quarterback too, meaning that they had already taken a quarterback earlier in the draft, maybe a Russell Wilson or somebody like that, Matt Ryan, Big Ben or Cam before they both got hurt. And they took them in the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th round, and that's going to kind of tie into the quarterback strategy. Do you wait? But people were drafting Dak Prescott as well, 13th, 14th, 15th round. Oh, I'm just going to grab Dak. He's my QB too. Same thing with Lamar. I'm just going to, hey, I just need another quarterback to put on my roster, to fill out my bench, so be it. Lamar Jackson goes down to Miami week one and blows up. I mean, they score a ton of points. Hollywood Brown, I mean, bomb, I mean, 70-yard touchdowns. Everybody's like, whoa, I need to keep an eye on this. Well, by week two, he replicated what he did almost in week one, and people are like, all right, I got to start him now. Getting a guy like that in the 11th, 12th, 13th round, that's tremendous value. Well, then you can start him. He's now going in some formats in the first round. Sometimes second early, sometimes middle. At at the latest, him and Mahomes are both going at the end of the second, start of the third. And that is way too high for me. I have not drafted any of those guys that high, and I will never draft any of those guys that high. Because when you look at it from a roster perspective, including taking into account flex, when you've got the quarterback position, it's only one spot. Yes, it's an important spot, but it's only one spot. And unless you're in a super flex league where you can have multiple quarterbacks and put quarterbacks in the flex spot, then yeah, you have to take all quarterbacks earlier. I don't want to get into the weeds with super flex because that's something that's emerging, but a lot of people aren't doing it right now. So when you look at a Lamar, you look at a Mahomes, if somebody else wants to draft those guys that early, then let them. All that says to me is more quarterback, I mean, more running backs and wide receivers are going to fall back to me because when you've got to fill two running back spots, two wide receiver spots, a flex spot, and also look at getting bench depth because you've got to account for bye weeks and COVID, it makes no sense to waste that early of a draft pick on Mahomes or Jackson. I'm not saying that they're not great. I'm not saying that they're not worthy, but if you want to go that route, Maybe you're a Chiefs fan. Maybe you're like, I don't care. I'm taking Mahomes. That's fine. You then have to have a really solid strategy moving forward in those rounds coming after to make sure and build out your team correctly. 
the general argument that most people have is like, okay, just wait on the quarterback. You can wait till the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round. Still look at maybe getting a top five quarterback in a Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson with the weapons he's got. You throw Deshaun Watson in in that mix. He doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins now, but he's still got weapons, and he's still Deshaun Watson. He's a great quarterback. Matt Ryan. Josh Allen had a really unique year last year that he had nine rushing touchdowns, but he added Stephon Diggs this year. So he only had 20 passing touchdowns last year. I think that increases this year because he has Stephon Diggs now. I mean, he's got John Brown. He's got a, a tight end that's got a second year under his belt now. He's got pass catching backs. So people like that can be guys that you can get in the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth round. You've got players like Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger. They're all falling. I mean, they're in those eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve round range. Cam Newton just got uh, tabbed as the starter for Week One in New England. Is he going to be Cam of old? Maybe, maybe not. If the shoulder's healthy, I think Cam's got a, a tremendous upside. But you also take into account just his rushing ability alone. He's one of the arguably top two or three rushing quarterbacks in the last decade. And if he uses his legs again this year in New England, which I really think that they're going to allow him to do, uh, Cam's got some sneaky upside. But then you can even wait even later than that, Rashad, and look at going with a Baker Mayfield. I think Matthew Stafford is great. I think Daniel Jones with the weapons that he's got in uh, New York with the Giants is, I mean, you got Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, Barkley catch them all in the backfield. Daniel Jones with his ability to run the football. You can even wait later than that and go get a Big Ben and a Jared Goff. There's, I mean, potential out there. Do you need to come out of there with a really good quarterback and then still get your quarterback too later? Yes. But to your question, I would never draft a Lamar or a Patrick Mahomes that early because it just really makes it harder for you to fill out the rest of your roster in a way that is best because of the depth that you've got to have at running back and wide receiver. Yeah, and personally, I I agree with you there. I've never taken a quarterback, you know, the top. I don't even know if I've taken in the top five. I've, I've always waited, and I find that that definitely pays off. I mean, looking at the winners of my leagues every year, I think it only – only a select few times where there where uh, a situation where they pick the number one, number two, even number three quarterback. And I think waiting is going to pay off this year, especially with, you know, the big name guys falling late. You take two of them late and hope one of them has some some upside and all of a sudden you've got a, a top five a top five uh passer in your lineup yeah and i want to add something you made a great point about taking too late i want to kind of just take a caveat to that and and say like in one of my leagues that i won last year i took dak prescott i got him in the 15th round he was my quarterback too i drafted matt ryan in the eighth round i'm like okay i'm sitting here like wow dak prescott's still available he ended up being the number two fantasy quarterback last year so i ended up starting him more than matt ryan who i took seven rounds earlier so that's one point I like the idea of what you said, grabbing two quarterbacks later, making sure they have opposite bye weeks. And there's another little caveat in the fantasy world known as streaming. So you're basically saying, I'm going to wait, 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 wait. I'm going to load up my roster the way I want with tight end, running back, wide receiver. And then I'm going to go later and I'm going to grab a Jared Goff and a Matthew Stafford or a Jared Goff and a Ben Roethlisberger or a Baker and a, and a Daniel Locke. And I'm going to stream that quarterback 
to who they're playing that week based on are they playing at home? Are they playing away? What are the weather conditions like versus like, okay, I grab Patrick Mahomes and then I don't grab another quarterback until the last round of the draft and I maybe grab mm, a Ryan Tannehill if he falls or a Gardner Minshew or Joe Burrow. Well, if the conditions are horrible with Mahomes, road or home, you still got to start him. So a lot of people are looking at this now and saying, I'm going to stream based on what I think will fit me best that week. Is the team that uh, my quarterback's going up against, are they just are they a crappy defensive team? Okay, I'm going to start him versus being forced to maybe start one of those other guys because you burned that higher draft pick on them earlier you're kind of handcuffing yourself a little bit. So I love the idea of streaming, and I do that quite a bit in leagues. I will wait and wait and wait and grab two really good quarterbacks and then just figure out which one is the best to play that week. Yeah, so we all know the kind of the top five quarterbacks, but if you were to go down that path, use that strategy, what are the two quarterbacks that you would say, you know, late round kind of top 15, I guess? Um, what are two that you would – you would pick. I love um, – I know he's going to be a sleeper. You might even get him later. I think Daniel Jones is going to be a potential breakout top quarterback this year. I just think the Giants are poised to make that next step. They added some offensive line depth. They've got all their weapons back. Sterling Shepard is back from concussion protocol from last year. I, I think you can definitely look at Big Ben. He's finally healthy. I mean, he said he's throwing without pain – for the first time in a long time. So even a 90% Big Ben, who's 38 now, but still considered a really good quarterback with a healthy James Conner, a great offensive line, and you got weapons like Juju, who is also healthy, Chase Claypool, the rookie that they drafted, James Washington, and a wide receiver breakout top guy and Deontay Johnson. I'm totally okay with leaving the draft with two guys like that. I think you could even – a sneaky play would be to throw Phillip Rivers into that mix. He's going to have some weapons, and he loves to throw the football. He's a great, great tight end in uh, Jack Doyle. He's got T.Y. Hilton. He's got Michael Pittman. I mean, he's got uh, uh, Zach Campbell. I mean, they've got some weapons there as well. And so – and, I mean, again, I mentioned Cam earlier. I think you could look at Cam. They go, he doesn't have anybody to throw to. He's got Julian Edelman. He's got James White. He's got Nikhil Harry. They've got weapons there, and and if anybody is a guru when it comes to creating an offense tailored to a player, just like they did with Tom Brady, it's going to be Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick. So I definitely think you can wait. I think any of those guys, if you leave the draft with those two guys, I, th I think you're going to be in great shape. You could even throw a Matthew Stafford into that mix. Um, I mean, then you start getting down to the guys below that. You get into the – Ryan Tannehill's, the, the 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 Derek Carrs, the Sam Darnolds. Those are the guys that you want to take if you go QB2 for them and you've drafted a little bit earlier and you maybe took a, a Russell Wilson, a Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray. Probably the bottom end of that threshold for me would be a Matt Ryan. Then you take those other guys later. Let's go now running back. I, I don't want to spend too much time on the – the top 10 here because or I guess even the top eight because those are pretty obvious and you know you're going to have different different opinions for everyone based on who's second who's third who's fourth but kind of after that first one and two tier of running backs right um in the in the middle rounds there third round fourth round fifth round who are some some guys you would target there 
And you make a great point. There's not a lot of need to discuss those top seven, eight guys. We've already kind of covered that. And when you look at running back strategy and go RBRB or zero modified, those guys are there. I mean, that's who you want to anchor a team with in that first one or two rounds. But it's what are you going to do after that? And so that's a great question. So I think when you start looking at those third rounds on, you start looking at the Todd Gurley's of the world. He's down in Atlanta now getting a fresh start and a really good offense. Is his knee going to hold up? That's the question. I think he's got tremendous upside, but it is a huge risk-reward taking a guy like that in the third round because the knee may not hold up. But if the knee does hold up and Atlanta is going to easily move the football in that NFC South, you may even have shootouts. Somebody like a Todd Gurley in the third, fourth round, if he falls far enough, is there. Then you start getting into the Chris Carsons of the world. I mean, Rashad Penny's on the pup. He's not going to have a lot of, I mean challenge as far as getting the carries Carlos Hyde's going to be a third down pass catching back so you can take you can look at a Chris Carson then you start getting into the Melvin Gordons of the world he's going to have competition with Philip Lindsay again I think Denver's going to be able to run the football effectively this year they're going to be able to open things up with Drew Locke and the weapons they have now at wide receiver so Melvin Gordon's in that same range then you start getting into the um David Johnson down in Houston. He's in, in a, a new situation. He has a lot to prove. I think there's a tremendous amount of risk-reward with a guy like that. And do you take someone like him or do you not? Um, I mean, you look at what's happening in, in Tampa. Ronald Jones was clearly going to be the starter a week ago. Would have been a great guy to draft in that fifth, sixth round. Well, now you got Leonard Fournette who signed with Tampa. That muddies that backfield up to the point where – I would probably just steer clear of that because you don't know what you're going to get there, especially with Brady and this new offense. I mean, I'm not saying that you don't take one of them if they fall far enough. Yeah, I think you can definitely look at that. Then you start looking at, uh, in San Francisco, Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman. Raheem's probably going to be the main guy, but if Tevin Coleman gets hot, Kyle Shanahan's going to ride who he thinks is the best. Same thing with Jonathan Taylor and Marla Mack. Jonathan Taylor's going as early as the third and fourth round now. That's a lot to put on a rookie to say this guy's going to come in. And, yes, he was great at Wisconsin. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Heisman potential. I mean, I mean, 30 carries a game. NFL's different. The speed's different. Marla Mack's a proven running back. I think you pass on a Jonathan Taylor – and you may be looking at grabbing a Marlon Mack later in the draft and seeing if you can catch lightning in a bottle with somebody like him. Uh, same thing with DeAndre Swift in in Detroit. I mean, Karrion Johnson's been banged up. He's missed 11 games the last two years. I don't know if Karrion Johnson is going to be the starting running back and DeAndre Swift's going to be like a third-down pass catching back or DeAndre Swift comes out of the gate week one, even as a rookie, and, and assumes the, the lead running back role. So all of those guys, David Montgomery in Chicago, same thing. Tariq Cohen's going to be the third down pass catching back. So you've got plenty of opportunity with, with guys that are in those middle rounds to go grab. Uh, a guy that's getting a lot of buzz, good and bad, uh, has a lot to prove. I mean, he obviously was one of the greatest running backs fantasy-wise for two or three straight years in Pittsburgh with Le'Veon Bell. He's coming into his second year with the Jets. He wasn't great last year. People think that he may have lost another step. 
Uh, I think they have clearly improved that offensive line. They drafted Makai Becton. Sam Darnold's healthy. I think he's got some sneaky upside. He's a guy that you might be able to grab in the fourth round, but I would not make him your RB1 in the sense of when I mean RB1, yes, he's a starting running back for the Jets, but don't make him your first running back that you've taken because that's a lot of pressure to say, I have to have this guy do well because he was my first running back that I took. If he's your second or third running back that you take, then it it, it takes a little bit off of the pressure that you're putting on the roster for yourself. And then outside of that, you can you can get downstream even more. You start saying, okay, Mark Ingram, yeah, but is J.K. Dobbins going to take over at some point? I think so. So I would wait another round or two and grab a J.K. Dobbin. Um, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to get quite a few touches. And then as the season goes on, I think they're going to preserve Mark Ingram to make sure he's ready for the playoffs because that's where they got exposed last year. The running game broke down in that Tennessee game and they put it all on Lamar, and it just didn't work out. And so I think you're going to see some teams definitely do running back by committee. And so you can dig deeper and go down later into that. A guy that I still like, like I mentioned before, is James White. You've also got Antonio Gibson, who's going to basically now maybe emerge as the starting running back in Washington. They just released Adrian Peterson. And, um, I mean – where do you draw the line on who do you want to take and why? That's really what it boils down to. And that's why when you go into a draft, Rashad, you've got to have strategy. You've got to have a gap of players when you're coming up to your spot and say, if this guy's on the board, I'm going to take him. But I've got a list of about five or six running backs, five or six wide receivers, a couple of tight ends, wherever you may be in that draft with the needs that you know your roster will need at that point you got to say, okay, if that person's here, I'm going to take them. But if they're not, I'm not going to reach for another running back. I will pivot and go get the tight end or go get that next wide receiver. Then I'll come back and get that running back the round after that I'm still targeting that I think will be there. So it's really a strategy of trying to determine when do you want to go running back and then how much depth do you want running back. In a PPR league, I lean toward getting more wide receiver depth because there's just greater potential for point value because they're they're most likely obviously catching the football and running backs don't as much unless they're those top three or four like C-Mac and players like that, but they're already off the board, so it's not going to matter. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one, especially those late-round running backs, and we don't know what's actually going to happen, but I feel like in the first, first few weeks you'll definitely see who is going to emerge as, as starters or if – most teams are going to employ the the running back by committee. Um, for, I guess, the next category, let's go into wide receivers. Um, you have the top five guys. You got Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, Tyreek Hill, and DeAndre Hopkins. But after that, there's a lot of kind of flip-flopping and and moving guys up and down. And it's kind of tough to say who's going to come out of that. I mean, you got Chris Godwin and Mike Evans here on uh, on Fantasy Pros ranked as the wide receiver six and wide receiver nine. But same offense. Both of them have had their up years and both have had more down years. And new quarterback there, now a new running back in Fournette. What do you think is going to happen there? 
It's a great question. And I mean, that, that right there is the example of new offense. Now you got a new running back. You just mentioned Fournette. I mean, new quarterback, who knows what you're going to get? Chris Godwin was one of those guys that you got in the fifth, sixth round last year. Maybe sometimes fell possibly even to the seventh because Michael Mike Evans came off the board first because he's had a longer track record of success. Who is going to get the lion's share of that work this year? Is Tom Brady going to go with the uh, with the Chris Godwin who can run the great routes? Or is he going to go with the deeper ball and go with the Mike Evans kind of back in his Randy Moss days? I mean, you, you got to pick a lane and then pick your poison. And and it might be that you go Godwin. You might have to take Godwin now in the second round at the absolute latest, the first part of the third. Mike Evans seems to be the one that's fallen a little bit more. So you might be able to get a Mike Evans on the back half of the third round, middle to end of the third round. If it's me, I'm going to go Evans. He's got a longer track record in Tampa. He's been more consistent. I'm not saying Godwin won't potentially have a great year. I think he can. But I lean toward Evans because you also want those touchdowns. And Edwin, I mean, Evans is going to be a red zone top guy now this year because teams are also going to have to pay attention to Gronk because they think of that Gronk-Brady connection. I think Mike Evans is going to get a tremendous amount of one-on-one coverage. He's 6'5". He can high point the football. He's a guy that I'm going after. Uh, But then after that, yeah, you're right. You take those top five, six guys off the board. Then you get into, you finally got a fully healthy Odell Beckham. He's a guy that you might be able to get at the end of the third, start of the fourth, maybe even slide all the way to the fifth. I would take my chances with him. I would pass on an Amari Cooper, and I would wait and try to grab a Michael Gallup later. I think Michael Gallup has breakthrough potential. You take a Adam Thielen. He's now going to be arguably Minnesota's wide receiver one. Can he produce in the way that he's produced in the past when you had – Kyle Rudolph, who was a force at tight end, taking up, I mean, coverage. You had Stephon Diggs on the other side. Now you got a rookie in Justin Jefferson who's not played outside much. He was a slot guy at LSU. They don't have a third wide receiver that it really can emerge out of that offense. I like Thielen. I think he's a great player. If you want to take Thielen, take Thielen. I'm a little concerned with him coming off the injury last year if he will produce in the way that he's produced in the past. Players that I like, A.J. Brown in Tennessee, he he blew it up last year in the second half of that year. I think he has got a tremendous amount of uh, breakout potential for a full year this year. I like Calvin Ridley a lot. If you can't get a Julio in that second round, I think Calvin Ridley in that Atlanta offense, you're going to be able to get him in the third, fourth, maybe fifth, even sixth round, depending on how the draft plays out. Tremendous upside. He might even finish in the top ten when this year is over among all fantasy wide receivers, you got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in Seattle. Those are two really, really good wide receivers that I think have um, both have an opportunity to, to be really solid this year in this offense with Russell Wilson. And, and we can continue going on down the list and talk about them. But I think those are all guys that we mentioned that you're going to be able to get in that third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, depending on what you do. In those first two rounds, when we talked about going RBRB, zero RB strategy, when, when you take wide receivers and you're going to pass on these guys because you're getting running back depth, or that zero modified, which is the one that I've been leaning to quite a bit more this year, taking that one stud and then getting those wide receivers in those next four or five rounds, three or four rounds, depending on how many flex spots you have. 
and making sure, as I mentioned earlier, you draft those opposite bye weeks. And then you have depth at that position. Then you go back and get those running backs that you want to get. Yeah, and it's funny. Fantasy Pros here has Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf as wide receiver 21 and 22. Yeah, they're right there together. And you're going to be able to get either one of those guys in the fourth or the fifth. I, I, I really doubt both of them or either of them fall to the sixth. Rashad, I think fourth or fifth, that's when you're looking at that wide receiver two in your lineup because you've already drafted your wide receiver one. And either one of those guys are going to put up 70, 80 catches, 1,000, 1,200 yards, 8, 10 touchdowns. That's a solid year if you can get that out of your wide receiver two in fantasy. Especially that late in, in rounds. Oh, yeah. If you can get it, if you can – I've tried to target DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in almost every draft that I've had in that fourth, fifth round. If they're there, I grab them. I don't even think about it. I don't go, well, okay, wait a minute. Like, I wonder what like I'll do. Like, no, grab that player because they won't be there when you come back around. So at some time, you just have to make that decision to say, I might even have to draft a guy up around early because I know that's someone that I want to put on my roster and put on my bench. And when you can look at these opposite bye weeks, like let's say right here, Calvin Ridley, his bye week is 10. Uh, Tyler Lockett, there's a six. You, you're covered there. Then you can go get an uh, A.J. A- a- Brown. His is seven. Uh, Kenny Galladay's five. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are 13. So you're looking at saying, okay, you don't want to leave a draft and go, wow, I've got, I've got five great wide receivers, but uh, three of them have a week nine bye. Mm, week nine's going to look pretty tough. So just think about that from a strategy perspective of making sure you're getting the players you want when you want them, but make sure you have roster flexibility and you have that bye week flexibility as well. For sure. And we could talk about wide receivers forever, but yeah, just kind of for time's sake, let's go tight end now. Yeah, tight end. Great, great point. Obviously, you've got Kittle, Kelsey. That's they're they're in a they're in a atmosphere all on their own. They're both gonna probably get 120, 130, 140 targets this year. Probably have 90 to 100, maybe 110 catches. Probably six to eight, maybe eight, 10 touchdowns, 1,000 plus yards. They're there, okay? If you're at the end of the second, middle to the end of the second, start of the third, especially if it's in the at the end of the second when you know you're going to be picking and then turn around and picking again really quickly, if a Kittle or a Kelsey are there, you take them. And then you go, okay, I don't have to worry about tight end again for the next seven, eight, nine, ten rounds. Okay. It's like it's like a checklist. It's like, okay, whew, I'm done. Same thing if you go with a higher end quarterback in those first four or five rounds and you grab a a Wilson, a Murray, a Prescott, you're like, check, I'm done with quarterback. I don't have to worry about quarterback for a while. Um, so if Kittle or Kelsey are there, end of the second, start of the third. I, I have zero argument taking one of those two guys there. If you're in the middle to the second, I mean, middle of the draft, like seven, eight, nine, ten, and you're in that snake format, then you're looking at not being able to come back around till the third and fourth. Those guys are going to be gone. So at that point, you have to make the decision. Do I think a Mark Andrews, who emerged last year as a breakout tight end in that offense with Baltimore and Lamar Jackson, he had 10 touchdowns last year. I don't think he has 10 touchdowns again this year. I think you see a regression there. Do I still think he's a top five tight end? Absolutely. Is he going to get maybe more balls thrown to him this year? Has he improved his route running? Yes. 
Um, if you can get a Mark Andrews in the fourth or fifth round, then I would say yes to that. You've also got Zach Ertz, who's got that track record. He's Mr. Consistency. He does it regardless of who the quarterback is, but if he's got a healthy Carson Wentz all year, Zach Ertz has tremendous top five upside and potential. And then you get into that next wave. After I would actually say, like, Kittle, Kelsey are a tier, and then Ertz, Andrews is like tier two, and then everything after that kind of falls to tier three and beyond. Then you start getting into the Darren Waller, Tyler Higby, who emerged in the second half of last year in that Rams offense. Um, Evan Ingram, if he can stay healthy, he's great. I just – he can't stay on the field. He's not been healthy yet. Then you get Hunter Henry, new quarterback. Hayden Hurst, he left Baltimore, went to Atlanta. Austin Hooper went to Cleveland. So Austin Hooper is now in Cleveland, new quarterback. Baker, Hunter Henry, like I said, new quarterback with Tyrod Taylor. Hayden Hurst, new system, new quarterback in Atlanta. Mike Gusecki. I mean, you start getting into that next range of people. People think about, okay, do I take one of those top five tight ends or do I wait? And then do I do the exact same thing we talked about and mentioned earlier with quarterbacking? Do you just take two really good tight ends later and then do you stream? Who's best that week based on who they're playing? That's an argument. I think you probably need to look at trying to leave the draft with at least one tight end that could be arguably considered a consensus top 10 tight end. The elephant in the room is Gronkowski. He's lost the weight. He missed a year of football. He came back. He's reunited with Brady. He's in that offense now. But you've got Evans, Godwin, that you mentioned earlier. You've also got um, um, a wide receiver three set that can be there. Plus, you got Gronk. Is Gronk going to be utilized more as a blocking tight end, which he was actually really good at when he was in New England? Is he going to stay healthy all year? Is the weather going to get to him? Uh, is he as dominant? Has he lost a step? He's a wild card, Rashad. I mean, the guy may have 10, 12 touchdowns. He may end up having 30, 40 catches for four, five, 600 yards and just be an average mediocre tight end that's a part of a great offense. So there's a lot of risk-reward there in a guy like that. Uh, but then outside of that, if you want to wait, there's the Noah Fans of the world, Tyler Eifertz, Zach Ebron, and uh, I mean Eric Ebron in Pittsburgh, Jack Doyle in Indianapolis. We've got a tremendous number of decent to good tight ends that can fall later in the draft, and you can build out your roster with really good solid tight end play, and and you just maybe pass on one of those guys. But if you don't get a really good tight end that you want one of those top five or six or seven guys by the fifth, sixth round, then my argument would be to just wait. Spend that draft capital going and getting that really good quarterback in that fifth, sixth, seventh round like a Wilson, Brady, Prescott, Ryan, Murray, and then come back and get tied in later. Uh, because, again, both of those are just one-spot positions. You can put tight ends in the flex in most leagues. I would not recommend it. I don't think you need to get depth at tight end thinking I want to have a tight end to put in a flex spot. Arguably, that should be a running back or a wide receiver in that flex spot. Doesn't mean you can't get a tight end and put him there. I just wouldn't lean against it because the volatility of a, what a tight end can get you game to game over the consistency that you may get from a wide receiver, it's just not there. So where would you actually kind of target a guy like Gronk? I would not target a guy like Gronk until maybe the eighth, ninth, tenth round. If he fell far enough, 
and you could grab him, grab him, but then I would turn around and immediately in the next one or two rounds, and that's assuming because rounds seven, eight up above, you've got that depth at wide receiver, running back. You've already got your quarterback that you want. You then turn around and come right back, and you maybe grab a Noah Fant, a Jack Doyle, um, a Blake Jarwin, somebody that's in that tier three, tier four, tier five range, but you know that if Gronk goes down or Gronk's not producing, you're then going to be able to turn around and plug in a, another tight end that you know is a good starting tight end that you're going to be able to get some production from. But then that risk reward is if Gronk's there and he falls late enough, and then, I mean, coin the term, if Gronk's going to Gronk and he ends up being great, then that's tremendous risk reward and tremendous upside to have a guy like that then come into the draft, getting him later like that, and he produce at a great level, that's probably going to be something that could potentially help you win your league or at least win some weeks in your league and get you into the playoffs. All right, I really like that. Um, I would go into kicker and defense, but I don't think we need to spend any time on that, and uh, especially for time here. We're running about an hour now. Yeah. Um, let's kind of let's end it end it there is there anything else you have any advice you have for for uh fantasy owners going into this year here's the one thing i would say on defense wait on a defense wait on a defense until the very end rashad i I mean there are obviously going to be some defenses that emerge and a great example though is last year the new england patriots everybody thought they were going to be terrible and the new england patriots went undrafted in the vast majority of standard format leagues where you just draft everybody was taking the ravens and everything else New England was the number one defense last year. So just wait on a defense. Don't don't get consumed on it. But I would argue and consider to say, hey, look at taking a top five kicker. If a Will Lutz, Harrison Butker, Justin Tucker, Greg Zerline, somebody like that falls to the right spot, go ahead and grab that top kicker and just secure that roster spot and be done with it. But in general, to close and wrap up, and thank you very much for allowing me to come on and be a part of this. Um I am co-host of Pint Glass Football Podcast with Brad Fowler. We have our own podcast. We talk about football every week. And so we've covered off on a lot of this stuff. We had our own fantasy show. And so the bottom line is, Rashad, have fun. Enjoy the league. Don't stress over it. Don't worry about it. Wherever you're drafting, whatever your spot is, just own it. And that wraps up this episode of Sports Biz with Rashad. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed, be sure to check us out on Instagram at sportsbizwithershot and support us on all other platforms. I'll catch you guys on the next episode.